Well, good morning. Thank you for getting out today and uh, joining us. Appreciate that very much on this second Sunday in August. Uh, one of the Bible texts for today is some words from the Old Testament prophet Micah, and uh, I know that many of you are familiar with them, but let me use these words again today as our call to worship. O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Pray with me, will you? It is good to be together, God, with these, your people, together listening for your voice and united by your spirit. In this time of worship, tell us about your kingdom of kindness so that we can learn to seek it. Show us your path for us to follow. We want to walk with you humbly and closely and daily. God, guide us through this day. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our opening hymn is I Love to Tell the Story. And if you feel like standing, please do.
of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story, it will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his On the seat in front of you today, or with you, is a card. So if you haven't already, we uh, figured out a way that we would do attendance uh, on the cards. And if you would like to do that, um, you can keep the pen, or you can turn it, or leave it, and uh, they'll be sanitized before next week. How about that? But we bought a whole bunch of these, so if you need a pen, take it with you. Um, and the cards, Marie, are they... We just dropping them in the offering box. If you want to drop it in the offering box, which is right back here by the door, there's one on the counter out here, um, then we'll be able to process the connection cards as well. So thank you for doing that. You know, the world often asks a question of us, and that is, uh, who are the people of God? What's it mean to be a, a person of God? And uh, we might answer in a variety of ways, but maybe not necessarily uh, we are not necessarily people with, always with correct beliefs or uh, worldly wisdom, but we are people who act with justice and compassion, who walk humbly with our God. Those whom the world might call foolish because we choose to live kingdom values rather than worldly values. Um, those who go against the status quo at times and work to bring about God's community uh, in the here and now. And I've always thought about the words of Micah 6, 8, uh, which we um, used earlier, uh, as something that God expects of us, what he wants from us. Uh, but this morning, I want to look at it a little differently um, and, and uh, give a different perspective on that particular passage of scripture. And we'll get to all that in just a few moments. But I invite you to pray with me um, before we do. Loving God, we come this morning uh, seeking to be in your presence. Open our minds to your spirit of wisdom so that we may know how to live as your people. Open our hearts to your spirit of truth so that we may love all your people with a love that speaks of justice and kindness and radical grace. May this time of worship be authentic and pleasing to you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may stay seated. We're going to sing again the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet 
sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, the joys I feel, the bliss I share of those whose anxious spirits burn with strong desires for thy return. With such I hasten to the place where God my Savior shows his face. And gladly take my station there and wait for the sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, thy wings shall my petition. To him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace. I'll cast on him my every and wait for the sweet hour of One of our goals at Redeemer has been to help people discover the authentic Jesus. Because we believe that when we discover the real Jesus and give him access to our life, we find him irresistible. For the last 20 or 25 years or more, we have been intentional about helping people who are just starting their spiritual journey, or maybe restarting their relationship with God after some time away to discover authentic faith. And it is our passion to reach people who are skeptical, people who are cynical about the church, as well as longtime followers of Jesus, who like to be around people who are searching for faith. And so if that describes you in any way today, then you know that this is the church for you. And uh, we are here for you. And we know that we are here for others in the St. John's community. And it all depends on us to reach out and invite. We are in our second week in this series, we're simply calling Reboot. Kind of the restarting up after months of not being in church together. With a startup of worship after four and a half months off, it's a good time to remind ourselves, I think, of the basics of our faith. Last week we talked about how we have a soul. And that soul within us likes to go slow and savor things. And so we challenged ourselves to slow down, to take time to stop and rest, 
to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And I hope that was helpful, and maybe you were even able to give that a try this last week. If it hasn't sunk in yet, let me remind you that developing some time-tested spiritual habits that will bring health to your soul takes time. On average, they tell us it takes 21 days to develop a healthy habit. It takes about two days to adopt an unhealthy habit. And I find that to be uncomfortably true even in my own life. Well, this brings us to today. Today's message may be less of a teaching time and more of a time just to say that God has something that I think he wants us to hear from him today. There's a wonderful little portion of scripture in the Old Testament recorded for us by the prophet Micah. And uh, we've already alluded to it in a couple of different ways. It begins with a question and, or a statement that's kind of a question and then gives us a three-part answer. And the question that Micah 6.8 asks is this. It's kind of a statement, but it, in the same way it's sort of framed in a form of a question. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. And, um, and then it says... Uh, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So I, as I began to prepare this message, thinking about answering that question, what does God want from us? What does God want from us? And I began to sense that this isn't the right question to answer. Instead, the question I want to answer today is this. What does God want for us? What does God want for each of us? You see, religion in all forms tries to answer the question, what is required of us? But Christianity is incredibly unique in that much of what we read in the Bible is God explaining to us what he wants for us, not from us. As I said, most religions are about what God wants from us. The five pillars of Islam, for instance, are you have to pray daily, You have to take a trip to Mecca, you have to say a certain prayer, give a certain percentage to the poor, and celebrate Ramadan. It's very clear. Now, in the Bible, there are certainly plenty of places that describe the kind of person God wants us to become, like Micah 6.8. There are also times where God establishes a contract with his people, like in the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. But even then, back in Exodus chapter 3, when God first showed himself to Moses, listens how, listen to how God introduces himself. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. See, from the very first introduction of God to Moses, God announces, I want to do something for you. God said something similar to Abraham when he told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. Jesus was the same way. He announced why he came in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And again in Mark 10, 45, and even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus was on a rescue mission. He came to do something for us, not to reiterate what he wants from us. So Christianity is incredibly unique in that the real message of the Bible is not what we do for God, but what God wants to do for us. So the question this morning is this, what does God want for us? I believe that at least part of the answer is that he wants rest for us. Not a catnap between our to-do lists, but rest. He wants us to rest in him. We talked about some of that last week. Jesus told a crowd one time, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all who of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. What does the Bible mean when it says that God has rest for our soul? Well, it can be a little confusing because the Bible talks about rest in at least three different ways. Now, last week we also talked about building time into our schedule to get rest. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here, and it's not that kind of rest I'm talking, uh, that I'm talking about today. Sometimes the Bible talks about rest as being something that is either historical or futuristic. Historically, the Bible refers to the promised land as entering into God's rest. And futuristically, we will enter a land of rest when we die and go to heaven. That's not exactly the rest that God wants for us in this passage either. So in, in what sense does God have rest for us? Well, the kind of rest that God has for us today is the promise of a place where our soul can finally be at peace. It's the place that our soul has always longed for. It's the place where our soul can say, okay, it's finished. I'm home. I'm no longer in need to be striving or performing or proving anything to the world. I'm at peace. It's the kind of rest that we read about all the way back in the Old Testament book of Genesis where God created the world in six days and on the seventh day, he rested. Why did God rest? on the seventh day. Was he worn out? Was he weary from his labors? Of course not. So what does it mean when God rested? It means that he was finished. It was settled. It was good. He was satisfied. Our soul, you see, is built to search, to search for meaning, to search for significance, and to prove to the world that we are important and we're valuable. We are always searching for an identity. Last week I mentioned the idea of sleeping until you aren't tired any longer, but the fact is that many people could sleep 12 hours a day and, and still wake up and their soul not be rested. Why? Because it has not found what it's looking for. And for some people, they think their soul will be satisfied when they have enough money, only to discover that that's an illusion. They wonder, you know, if I just make 25% more than I did a few years ago, uh, but I still feel like I'm just another 25% away from being really satisfied. It's not going to happen, is it? Because money can't reach the deep places of our soul, not 
in a way that brings health. Some people think their soul will find meaning and significance if they only get a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or worse, that other person's spouse. And it's a mirage because our soul will never be truly at rest because our soul can only rest when it has found the one thing that cannot be lost, cannot be stolen, cannot be taken away. And only then will our soul finally be at peace. And that's why our soul will not rest if it's depending on money because it knows that we're only one black Monday away from awaiting, you know, to jump off a building. It cannot rest on a spouse or a child or anything that can walk away. It will not rest on prestige or on career or on success or respect because it knows that all of those things can be swept away in a moment. And it is Jesus who says, come to me. I'm the one your soul has been looking for. The issue of rest comes back around to the issue of being able to answer the question, who am I? You see, it's an identity issue. Our soul will not be able to rest until we're able to answer the question, who am I? So who are you? I remember early on in my ministry when I was doing a lot of youth ministry back in the days when Beth knew me and I was younger and thinner and had dark hair and everything. I always found it interesting to watch kids who were trying to figure out their identity. They tried a lot of different styles and colors and personalities on for size to see which one was the real person inside. And sooner or later, all of us have to figure out that out, don't we? Figure out who we are. And I'm telling you today that until we come to the place where we enter into God's plan and purpose for our life through faith in Jesus, we will never have rest. Because everything else we might base our identity on can be lost. If we base our identity on having money, what happens when we lose it all? If we base our identity on being a great spouse, what happens if that person leaves us? If we base our identity on being an athlete, what happens when we break a leg or tear a ligament? If we base our identity on appearance, what happens when we age? What happens when we gain weight? If we base our identity on being a pastor of a growing church, what happens when the church starts, stops growing? You see, we never base our identity on what can be taken away, what we can lose. So what is our identity in God? John 1.12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Through faith in Jesus, we become a child of God. You and I are a cherished child of God. Our soul can only be truly at rest when it has found the one thing that it can be assured cannot be lost, cannot be stolen, cannot be taken away from us, and that is God's love for us. God cherishes each one of us, and he loves each one of us. What does God want for us? He wants to give us rest. In Jesus, our soul has found what it is searching for. We belong to him, and no power on earth or in heaven above can separate us from his love. We are God's child. We are a daughter, a son in whom he is well pleased. He deeply loves us, and he... Uh, do you know that God's heart is occupied 
with us every moment of every day. He thinks about us all the time. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, God, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Christianity is built upon the stunning claim that what matters most is, is not what we can do for God, rather what God did for us. He has made a way for us to be able to enter into a place where our soul can be at rest, a place where we need not be consumed with trying to prove ourselves to anybody. So how do we believe and receive this new identity as cherished child of God and then experience freedom? Let me give you four quick ways that we can do that. First, our soul must be free from the lies we tell ourselves. You know, there's something inside all of us that wants to condemn ourselves as, we, as, as unworthy, as a fraud. There's something inside of us that feels it's necessary to show the world who we are because deep inside we aren't sure that we measure up. And through faith we come to see that we might be unworthy of God's tremendous love. The fact that God went to uh, such great lengths to adopt us as his children means I'm anything but worthless. I'm worth everything to him. And in that knowledge, our soul is freed from feelings of insignificance. So the first thing we have to do is our soul must be free from the lies that we tell ourselves. But secondly, our soul must be free from feeling it needs to perform or be accepted. Many people have never known anything other than performance-based acceptance. If you behave, you can belong. In fact, it might be true that many of you have endured the sour taste of performance-based Christianity. You were accepted, you were loved, maybe in this church or a previous church, and, and then um, you weren't. I understand that. Personally, I know what that's like. When my two brothers and I became ordained pastors in the United Methodist Church, which was not the denomination we grew up in, the congregation we grew up in pushed our parents out of the church. The only church they had known all their life, it was the place where they were married, it was the place where all of us were baptized, church they supported financially, the church they, uh, they, they served faithfully every week. But the leadership in particular turned their back on my mom and dad and made it clear that they were no longer welcome. They were no longer needed. And I think no wonder people often say the church is full of hypocrites. If in our church the only way we can be acceptable is based on our behavior, then we are guaranteeing our, ourselves a church that's filled with actors, a church filled with people who say, hey, everything's okay, I'm good. And inside we're hiding and hoping that the real us never really shows, shows itself at the inopportune time. And meanwhile, we shrivel for lack of honesty. No one gets healthy. No one grows. 
Because it's only when our soul rests in our identity as God's child can we be the kind of people who can admit when we're struggling. We can reach out for help when we need it. We can be accepted and loved as we are. So secondly, our soul must be free from feeling it needs to perform or be, to be accepted. Then third, our soul must be free from the grip of the opinion of others. When our identity is found in God as God's cherished child, when our soul is resting in God, then and only then are we freed from the opinion of other people. We're no longer wrapped up in image management. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that there were two great dangers, two impediments to a life lived for God. One of them is the danger of money. And the other is the danger of image management. Jesus presses us to ask, which is more important to us? What other people think of us or what God thinks of us? Which audience are we living for? And our answer to that question makes all the difference in the world. If we're living for the approval of the people around us, we will never, ever, ever find rest. There is no rest for the person who's living to please other people. We will constantly be weary. Why? Because there is always another audience. And every audience wants to see something a little different from us. We will never stop the act. And, may we, and, and may, we may even begin to brag about how we can fool everybody. Instead, what Jesus offers us is this. Instead of living for the approval of other people, Jesus says, how about you become the kind of person who lives because you have already received the approval of God. The person who lives because they have received the approval of God, that person can be at rest, even when they're weary, even when they're worn out. So one person is always weary, even when they're resting. The other person is always at rest, even if they're bone tired. Which do you want it to be for you? Let's pray. God, thank you for the rest we already have by faith in Jesus Christ. And for the rest that will one day be ours when Christ finally defeats every evil power. Thank you that the earthly kingdom which was lost through sin will be handed back to you and your redemptive plan will be completed. Keep us looking to Jesus the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.